Let's open your Bibles today to 2 Corinthians chapter 11, 2 Corinthians chapter 11. Today we come to one of the most amazing passages about the Apostle Paul. If you want to know what kind of dedication, what kind of commitment, what kind of devotion God expects out of everyone who claims to be a Christian, then this is the passage to meditate upon. And so today, let's consider the grueling marathon race of one of the heroes of the faith. He is a model. He is an example for us to follow. Our world praises the wrong kind of heroes, the strong, the smart, the beautiful, and the rich. But God does not praise them. No, not at all. Look with me in your notes. Look what God says in Jeremiah, through Jeremiah. Thus saith the Lord, Let not the wise man glory in his wisdom, neither let the mighty man glory in his might. Let not the rich man glory in his riches, but let him that glorieth glory in this, that he understandeth and knoweth me, that I am the Lord which exercise loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these things I delight, saith the Lord. Do you know the Lord? Do you know Jesus Christ as your Savior? The real question is, do you, do you live for the praise of man or do you live for the praise of God? If we live for the praise of God, then we should not be surprised that we will suffer persecution. And Jesus warned us ahead of time that living for God will bring some persecution in this life. And so my message for today, this Thanksgiving weekend, is how can I be thankful for persecution? How can I be thankful for persecution? This familiar passage is proof that Paul is an apostle. Please stand with me as I read, beginning in 2 Corinthians chapter 11 and down in verse 21. I speak as concerning reproach as though we had been weak. Howbeit, whereinsoever any is bold, I speak foolishly, I am bold also. Are they Hebrews? Now he's referring to these false teachers, false apostles. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more in labors more abundant, in stripes above measure, in prisons more frequent, in deaths oft. Of the Jews, five times received I forty stripes, save one. Thrice was I beaten with rods, once I was stoned. Thrice I suffered shipwreck, a night and a day. I have been in the deep, in journeyings often, in perils of waters, in perils of robbers, in perils by mine own countrymen, in perils by the heathen, in perils in the city, in perils in the wilderness, in perils in the sea, in perils among false brethren, in weariness and painfulness, in watchings often, in hunger and thirst, in fastings often, in cold and nakedness, beside those things that are without, that which cometh upon me daily, the care of all the churches. May we pray. Our Father, thank you that we can come to the Word of God. We can learn how to have the right attitude and the right perspective to life, to problems, to trials, even 
in times of persecution. And Lord, I pray that as you have warned us that if we live godly in Christ Jesus, we shall suffer persecution. You've warned us that in the last days, persecution will increase. I pray that we will not faint in the day of adversity, that our faith will be strong. Use this time in this passage to deepen our roots of faith that we can shine as bright lights for Jesus Christ. Father, if there be one that is not certain of their own eternal salvation, may they see Jesus Christ today and come to him and receive him as the very own to be born again into your family. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you. You may be seated. During my lifetime, news of persecution seemed to be pretty much centered around the Soviet Union and the Far East. But all that has changed, it seems, in the last 10 to 15 years. Either persecution is ramping up at an all-time high, or we are now just hearing about it, the worldwide persecution, possibly through the Internet and the, the connection worldwide. Jesus predicted this would happen in the tribulation. Listen to what he said in Matthew 24, 9. Then shall they deliver you up to be afflicted and shall kill you, and ye shall be hated, now listen, of all nations for my name's sake. So this is the direction the persecution is headed in that tribulation time. Persecution of all nations. Now look with me in your notes at some statistics here. Each month, 322 Christians are killed for their faith. 214 churches and Christian properties are destroyed. 772 forms of violence are committed each month against Christians, such as beatings, abductions, rapes, arrests, and forced marriages. So what is Christian persecution? And you notes there you see Christian persecution is any hostility experienced from the world as a result of one's identification with the Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we're talking anything from a verbal harassment, beatings, torture, imprisonment, rape, discrimination in education, discrimination in employment, and even death are just a few examples of the persecution Christians experience on a daily basis all over the world. And you notice on page two, according to the Pew Research Center, over 75% of the world's population lives in areas with severe religious restrictions, and that usually tends towards Christianity. Also, the U.S. Department of State says in more than 60 countries, Christians face persecution from their governments. Now, I want you to consider just some general facts about persecution. Uh, you need to know that, that in the past, Catholics persecuted Protestants and Bible believers and, and many others as well. Pope John the Paul issued a uh, sweeping apology back in the year 2000 for, uh, for their inquisition and their persecutions of native people and Muslims and, and uh, uh, Protestants. Uh, so that, that's, just, that's just a fact about history. Protestants also persecuted Christians and Bible believers. 
And so we had that going on as well. And then notice that Protestants and Catholics persecuted Muslims. We could say Muslims and Jews. Uh, Those crusades, they were not holy wars by holy people. Uh, from the Catholics and the Protestants going into the Holy Land and and, uh, committing mass murders. And then Muslims persecute Protestants, Catholics, and Bible believers. I want you to see this is is, uh, pretty much a general uh, sweeping summary of facts about persecution in the last 2,000 years. But in your notes, I want you to see the next point. And this is so important for all of us to understand. True Bible believers, the Baptists, the Anabaptists, the ba- those that identify themselves as Baptistic, never persecuted anyone. You see, if you follow Jesus Christ and you genuinely follow Jesus Christ, you do not persecute others. Why is this true? Well, because, because true Christians believe in Bible evangelism and the priesthood of the believer. Jesus told us to preach the gospel to everyone. You have to correct that in your notes, to everyone. But he never told us to compel people to believe using violence or physical threats of coercion. And so going all the way back into our own country's history with Roger Williams, Baptist pastor, banished from one of the colonies, he goes and he begins Providence, Rhode Island. Providence, named after God. And there, religious freedom, religious liberty has its birthplace uh, some 360 years ago. Persecution. How in the world can I be thankful for persecution? Well, the first reason comes to us from the lips of the Lord Jesus, and that is the promise of reward. The promise of reward. We love the Beatitudes, blessed are the pure in heart, and uh, blessed are the poor in spirit, and blessed are the peacemakers. But that, that list of blesseds ends with this. Blessed are they which are persecuted for righteousness' sake, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are ye when men shall revile you and persecute you and shall say all manner of evil against you falsely for my sake. What is our response to be? What is it? Rejoice and be exceeding glad for great is your reward in heaven for so persecuted they the prophets which were before you. If Jesus' words are true and they are then persecution brings treasure in heaven. Now, if you would think this through with me, when someone persecutes believers, they are adding to themselves a greater judgment upon their own selves and souls. But the persecuted are receiving more reward in heaven. Think that through. Think that through. Have you ever thought of of thanking someone who persecutes you because they just gave you greater treasure in heaven? Well, that's exactly what Jesus says in the Beatitudes. You can rejoice. You can rejoice because God is writing it all down. Not only can I be thankful, but, but I can follow the apostles' example. When they were beaten and commanded not to preach in the name of Jesus, the Bible says they rejoiced. And when they departed from the presence of the council, rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer shame for his name. And daily in the temple and in every house, they ceased not to teach and to preach Jesus Christ, Acts 5, 41 to 42. No government... No chief, no witch doctor has the right 
to silence a Christian from sharing the good news with others. Let me show you a picture here of, of uh, Pastor Vel uh, Siama. Uh, he is of uh, Myanmar or Burma. I, I met him in Taiwan, Taiwan a couple weeks ago, and I asked if I could take his picture, and uh, he said yes. And uh, you see his finger is dipped in ink. Now, some of you know why his finger is dipped in ink, and that would be because why? Because he voted. He voted. And you can only vote once. This is the first legitimate election that Burma has had in decades. And you can only vote once. And so they dip your finger in ink. I think it was like around November 7th. It was right before the, uh, uh, the, the pastor's conference that we had there. And, uh, uh, but I, I said, we need to do that in Philadelphia, you know? <laughs> I mean, we got the voter fraud going on. My neighbor told me uh, just, uh, just uh, last month, he said, yeah, he said, really discouraged about, about elections. He said, uh, I was watching local news here in Philadelphia, and he said, this guy is on, and, and the reporter said, did you vote? He said, yes, I voted four times. And the reporter said, don't you know that's illegal? legal. And the guy said, well, only if you get caught. I think he should have dipped every finger in it, let me tell you, and then arrest him. Uh, uh, but here, here's what happened. So this man, he's a pastor uh, there in Burma. Now it's called Myanmar, which is what it, it used to be called. And uh, he is a fifth generation preacher whose family was won to Christ through that man, the preaching of Adoniram Judson. In 1812, Judson was the first missionary sent out of America to travel overseas. He boarded the ship as a congregationalist, but after a thorough study of the Bible, he discovered that he should be baptized by immersion after his salvation, so he disembarked as a Baptist. Started out a Congregationalist, but by the time uh, he got there, he was a Baptist. Along the voyage, he, dis, uh, he stopped in India and was baptized by one of William Carey's co-workers, the first missionary in Burma to actually stay, and he suffered many persecutions. Burma is just one of the many places in the Far East where Christians continue to share the gospel in spite of persecution. And this passage here has inspired many men and women to endure great hardships, persecutions, even martyrdom for Jesus Christ. Now, we live in a day, we live in a place where persecution is small scale when compared to other countries. And sadly, uh, there at the bottom of page 2, sadly, we lose more out of the church to worldliness than to persecution. Churches in America are filled with a lot of Demas-type Christians. Paul wrote, Demas hath forsaken me, having loved this present world. Demas was once a fellow laborer of the Apostle Paul. But now he's pursuing the dream of prosperity and pleasure. He's a castaway. He's a spiritual failure. He's a traitor. And so these false teachers have come into this large church in Corinth. They've attacked Paul. They are agents of Satan preaching a different Jesus, a different gospel. They're disguised as angels of light, but they're really ambassadors of Satan, as we saw last week. They tried to discredit Paul's authority, Paul's message, Paul's morality, Paul's integrity. They criticized his preaching. Uh, they, they attacked him as a person. And, and so now Paul is forced to defend himself. He's more comfortable saying that he's the chief of sinners. He's more comfortable saying that he's a slave for Jesus Christ, a former blasphemer, a persecutor whom God has graciously saved and placed him into the ministry. 
And so we see Paul reluctantly defending his apostleship by listing some of his credentials. Now, it's a a little bit difficult in the wording, but his disclaimers are from verses 16 to 21, almost as if he's a little embarrassed to be able to boast, but he does his boasting with humility, with humility. Verse 16, he says, I I know I've said it already back in verse 1, let no one think me foolish, but if you do, I understand because... I need to boast a little. I have to answer these charges. In verse 17 uh, and 18, you have this parenthesis. All Scripture, Paul wrote, is inspired by God. He's simply saying, I'm not following Christ here because Christ never boasted, but I need to boast to show you my apostleship. In verse 20, he says, You're so foolish to bear with these false teachers who enslaves you and devour you. They're slapping you in the face with their false teaching, and you think that you're really smart to do this. Verse 21, he uses a little sarcasm there uh, because he means the opposite. I'm sorry that I wasn't as big and brave as as these false teachers when I was with you. He was showing the meekness of Christ. And now in verse 22, look with me in verse 22. Look what he says. Are they, these false apostles, Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. Are they the seed of Abraham? So am I. Do do they brag because they say they're Jews? I am equal to them. And so in verse verse 22, he shows that he is equal. In verse 23, he is going to show that he is superior to them. And so he starts out by talking about how they are equal. So am I. So am I. Are they Hebrews? So am I. Are they Israelites? So am I. In fact, Acts 26, 4 says, Though I was born in Tarsus from a child, I was raised in Jerusalem from my youth. In every way, he is a Jew. His race, his religion, his language, his theology. In Philippians 3, he says he's a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was fanatical about keeping the law and being trained by the most famous rabbi of the time, uh, Gamaliel. Now, how can I be thankful for persecution because of the promise of a reward? But notice, secondly, because of the identification with Christ, because of his identification with Christ. Are they ministers of Christ? I speak as a fool. I am more. Are they serving Christ? I can go, uh, go one better than them. It's crazy of me to talk this way. I've worked much harder, been jailed more often, beaten up more times than I can count, and at death's door time after time. Look what he says there. In labors, more abundant. In stripes, above measure. In prisons, more frequent. In deaths, oft. And so now he is going to begin to list his credentials as an apostle. You say, this is apostolic credentials uh, to everywhere you go, there's trouble. Everywhere you go, people get mad at you. Everywhere you go, there's, there's this violent breakout. It sounds more like you need to read some seeker-sensitive books and go to uh, uh, seeker-sensitive conferences. You, You need to learn how to make sinners comfortable, Paul. Is that what he needs to do? Oh, if he were in America today, that's what they'd say. Paul, you got some problems. You got some problems. You're not, you're not, you're not seeker sensitive. You're not, you're, not, you're not making sinners feel comfortable. You need to play their kind of music that they can identify with when they come into church. Make them comfortable. Paul didn't make them comfortable. Yes, this is his apostolic credentials. 
And so we see that he is thankful for persecution because of the promise of reward, because of his identification with Christ, but notice also uh, because of his suffering is evidence of ownership. It is evidence of ownership. Jesus made it very clear to the apostles that theirs was going to be a life of suffering. They were going to be brought before courts and judges, incarcerations and beatings. They're going to suffer greatly. They're going to be hated, resisted, and resented. Hold your finger here and turn back to Matthew 10. I want you to see what Jesus told the original 12 apostles. And then the apostle Paul became one of those apostles as well. Of course, Judas lost his place. Matthias took the 12th spot. And then an apostle born due out of season, an apostle of the Gentiles. And look what Look what the true apostles were instructed by Jesus. Matthew 10, 2. Now, the names of the 12 apostles are these. And then we have a list. Drop down to verse 16. This is what he says to his apostles. Behold, I send you forth as sheep in the midst of wolves. Be ye therefore wise as serpents and harmless as doves. But beware of men, for they will deliver you up to the councils. And they will scourge you in their synagogues. Ye shall be brought before governors and kings for my sake, for a testimony against them and the Gentiles. Drop down to verse 23. But when they persecute you in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, ye shall not have gone over the cities of Israel till the Son of Man become. The disciple is not above his master nor the servant above his Lord. It is enough for the disciple that he be as his master, and the servant as his Lord. If they have called the master of the house Beelzebub, if they call Jesus Beelzebub, how much more shall they call them of his household? And so Jesus tells the apostles, this is exactly what's going to happen to them, and it happened to Paul. Why this kind of reaction? Because you're taking the message of God into the kingdom of darkness run by Satan, and that creates a hostile reaction. And Paul understood this because Paul was once on the other side. Paul was once the persecutor. Paul was once the one who was was arresting Christians. He was once the one making Christian boys and girls orphans. He was once the one who was the persecutor of the church, wreaking havoc upon them. And he thought he was doing it in the name of God. John 16, 2. They shall put you out of the synagogues. Yea, the time cometh that whosoever killeth you will think he doeth God's service. Paul thought that. Paul thought he was serving God by persecuting Christians. Do you know that is true of today? There are people who are committing murder and they're doing it in the name of God of religion. They're doing it in the name of their God. They've been deceived by the false teachers. Now, some of these times of sufferings are recorded in the book of Acts. Some are not. When Paul went into a town, he didn't ask what the hotel was like. He asked what the jail was like because he knew that's where he was going to probably end up. Prison. Paul and Silas were put in prison in Philippi. He was beaten up pretty badly. He was put in the stocks. Now, stocks were wooden like you would think. Uh, And in ancient stocks, they would stretch your arms. They would stretch your legs to a point. 
uh, that would cause excruciating pain and uh, uh, cramping of the muscles. Uh, it, it wasn't like you see in, in drawings of colonial times where you put your hands and your head through. It, it wasn't like that at all. Uh, Paul uh, would later be imprisoned in Jerusalem, Rome, and Caesarea. Clement, uh, one of the early church fathers, writing in 96 A.D., says that Paul was in prison seven times. And that would have been handed down uh, mouth-to-mouth in current news. And so that seems to be accurate. Seven times in prison. Deaths oft means he was often in danger of death. How often? Every day. I mean, every day. He said, I die daily. And we like to spiritualize that and say, you know, that means you need to die to yourself every day. Die to selfishness. And we do need to die to self every day. But Paul was saying, I die daily because I realize that every day could be my last. Uh, Look at the end of this chapter here. Look what he says in verse 32 and verse 33 in Damascus. This is when he became a new Christian. The governor under Aretas, the king, kept the city of the Damascenes with the garrison desiring to apprehend me. And through a window in a basket was I let down by the wall and escaped his hands. Acts 9.23, the Bible says that Paul came, he was blinded, he was saved, he came into the city, God gave him his sight, and he was uh, baptized, and he began preaching, and as a brand new Christian, the Bible says there in Acts 9.23, and the Jews plotted to kill him. And so they guarded every gate of the city, and for him to escape as a brand new Christian, they found a nice sized basket, put a rope on it, and put it over the wall, and let him down. This is the first of many plots to kill him. Once in Jerusalem, dozens of men took an oath, we will not eat or drink until we kill Paul. Must have been some hungry guys, let me tell you. Notice in verse 24, the stripes. Of the Jews, five times received I 40 stripes, save one. What does this mean? Just a little Jewish history here. The Jews didn't have penitentiaries or prisons. That's not a Jewish idea. The Jews had a good system of dealing with crime. If the crime was wicked enough, according to Old Testament law, the criminal was executed immediately if there were two or three witnesses. Justice was swift. Justice was final. If there was a lesser offense than a capital offense, Deuteronomy 25, 1 to 5, ordered this lashing. God prescribed it. You took your blows, you made restitution, and life went on. We do this with our young children. We spank them to teach them obedience. And if you love your kids, you will spank them regularly, Proverbs 13, 24. You know, it was the Quakers in our country that started penitentiaries because they thought that if people who did wicked things committed crimes, if they just sat around long enough and if they thought about it, what they did, they would be sorry. That's why they were called penitentiaries because they thought they'd make people penitent. Eastern State Penitentiary in Philadelphia. Has anyone visited that place? 
Okay, uh, that is an amazing building. It was the most expensive and largest building of its time. Uh, 10,000 people a year came to visit it. 300 prisons across the world were modeled after it. And it didn't work then, and it did, doesn't work now. There's never any restitution. Uh, judgment is not swift. But at this time, the Jews, though not allowed to put to death in capital crimes, they were allowed to do the stripes. In a scourging, the chest and back of the victim would be bared to the waist. Behind the man would be a large stone on the ground elevating the master of the synagogue. This was done in the synagogue and who would inflict the blows. A thick strap of cowhide split into three six-inch strands was used in the whipping. One-third of the blows had to be delivered to the chest, two-thirds of the blows on the back and the shoulders. This comes from the Mishnah, a Jewish code, and it required that the master strike each hit with all of his might. Forty was the limit of the blows to create welts and sometimes cuts in the body. But the tradition, the traditional way of the Jews was to stop at 39 in case they muffed the count. They didn't want to break the law by going over by one. And so Paul said, I bear in my body the marks of the Lord Jesus Christ. You want to know if this man is apostle? You want to know if this man has suffered for Jesus Christ? You want to know if this man has any scars? Just take off your robe, Paul, and show them your back. A man who loved Jesus Christ, who was willing, who was willing to be beaten for the Lord. The trophies of his devotion to Jesus Christ. And the question for the false apostles is, where, where are your scars? Where are your scars? Because if the world hated Jesus, they're going to hate those who represent him. Have they hated you? Where are your scars, Valley Forge Baptist Temple Church family? Who are your enemies? Where are the people trying to silence you, or are you already silent? Notice in verse 25, Thrice was I beaten with rods. Once was I stoned. The Apostle Paul was stoned in Acts 14, 19 in Lystra. He was stoned by the Gentiles on the first missionary journey. What they do is they would take the victim to a, 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 some type of a, of a ledge and they would push him off and he would fall to the rocks below and they would begin to be able to throw and push large boulders upon him and pelt him with rocks. And the Bible says they left him for dead. Did he die or not? Well, right now, only God knows. Only God knows. But we do know this, that he rose up and walked back into that city. You talk about giving them a shock. He was stoned and left for dead. Verse 25 says, Thrice I suffered shipwreck. I suffered shipwreck. He probably took 20 voyages by ship, about nine of them before the writing of 2 Corinthians, and nine or ten of those voyages afterwards. Luke records them in Acts chapters 9, 11, 13, 14, 16, 17, and 18. Of those nine voyages, he had three shipwrecks. Man, I'd be taking my life vest with me. Uh, that, that's a tough way to go. And then he says, I spent a night and a day in the deep. 
What does that mean? What that means is in one of these shipwrecks, he was able to get a hold of some debris, and he hung on for 24 hours with the sharks in the salt water. A night and a day in the deep. Notice in verse 26, in many journeys. Now, there are no holiday inns, uh, no days in, uh, no Hiltons. Many times sleeping on the ground. Notice he says in verse 26, in perils, the waters and perils of robbers. Notice it's in the plural, in the plural, being robbed multiple times. I think it was Matthew uh, Henry who was robbed, and he said, God, I thank you. I thank you that, that I was uh, uh, the one who was robbed and not the robber. I thank you that he took my wallet, not my life. I mean, you can find Thanksgiving pretty much anywhere. Opposition by Jews, opposition by the Gentiles. Even in Corinth, he was taken before the magistrate. Uh, That happened in Lystra, Iconium, Derbe, Thessalonica. He was mocked at Athens. Notice he said he was hunger. uh, He was hungry. He was thirsty. He was cold. He was naked in verse 27. The care of all the churches. You know, every week I counsel a missionary. Paul would have had dozens of pastors and co-workers to care for. Uh, We're not rushing through this. I just want you to know this is his life. This is his life. And I want you to really understand what he endured for Jesus Christ with joy. Was it all true? Look at verse 30 and 31. If I must needs glory, I will glory of the things which concern my infirmities. The God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which is blessed forevermore, knoweth that I lie not. This is all true. Are you beginning to see that this is the stuff that marked him as a true preacher of the gospel of Jesus Christ? I mean, he fulfilled the prophecies that Jesus made that would happen to the apostles. He fulfilled a prophecy directly given uh, by Jesus in Damascus to Ananias of what would happen to him. Uh, It's the reasonable thing for a man with great power and conviction to confront the kingdom of darkness, to be able to have such a strong reaction against that. And when we read this, we read about the Apostle Paul, and we begin to think about ourselves. What do you think about your faith? What do you think about your endurance? What do you think about your Christianity? I mean, if the worst thing you go through is a church, you're either too cold or too hot, you just got to move to another part of the auditorium, right? That is not persecution. If you get a ticket for driving too fast, that's not persecution, If you get a fine uh, from the IRS, that's not persecution. If you suffer for things you do wrong, that's not persecution. We are so soft. We read this passage, we should be inspired. We should be challenged. His persecution was a mark of his true apostleship. It is a mark of his ownership. Uh, uh, You say you're a servant of Jesus Christ... Show me your scars. Show me who is hostile towards you. Show me the rejection. Show me the family conflict. You took a stand for a scriptural principle, and maybe your family didn't like it. That's a scar. You proclaim Jesus Christ to an unbeliever, and you suffer for it. That's a scar. You didn't get a promotion. That's a scar. You got fired. 
That's a scar. You didn't get the grade you should have gotten in that college class because you wrote a paper that advocated what the Bible teaches about a certain issue and not what the professor thinks. That's a scar. But Paul says, I'm an apostle, far more than the false apostles, and I've got the scars to prove it. He's not boasting. He's not really boasting. He's just saying, I belong to Jesus Christ. Look with me in your notes. Hast thou no scar? Page 4. No hidden scar on foot or side or hand. I hear thee sung as mighty in the land. I hear them hail by thy bright ascendant star. Hast thou no scar? Hast thou no wound? Yet I was wounded by the archers spent. Lean me against a tree to die and rent. By ravening beasts that compass me, I swooned. Hast thou no wound? No wound, no scar, yet as the master shall the servant be. And pierced are the feet that follow me, but thine are whole. Can he have followed far who has no wounds nor scar? You cannot live a life uncompromisingly confronting the kingdom of darkness and not have some scars to show for it. And those scars are your badge. It's your badge of authenticity that I really belong to Jesus Christ. And so I can be thankful. I can be thankful for persecution. Lord, thank you for your word and the power of it, what it means to us. I thank you for this man who was faithful to you. I thank you for this man who now inspires us to greater courage, to greater commitment, to have thicker skin when it comes to the rejection by those who are lost in this world. Help us to see that they are blind. Help us to see their need of the Savior to bring the light and the truth to their soul that they could be forgiven and understand the truth of God. Lord, I pray now that for each one of us who are saved, that our commitment will be stronger from the time we've spent in your word. I pray if there be one that is not sure of their own salvation, that the Spirit of God will draw them to yourself this moment. Heads bowed, eyes are closed. You'd say, Pastor, if I, if I died today, I know I'd go to heaven. I've been born again. I'm not ashamed of my Savior. I'm a follower of Jesus Christ. And you know that for certain, that heaven's your home. Would you simply hold your hand up high for a moment all over if you have that kind of assurance in your hearts? God bless you. You may put your hands down. You'd say, Pastor, I think I'm saved. I hope I'm saved, but I'm not sure. I've never made a commitment to Jesus Christ to follow him. But today, I want to testify that I believe on him and I trust in him and I want to receive him and claim him as my own Savior. If you've never done that and would like to do that right now, I'll lead you in the salvation prayer. Simply hold your hand up high. Anyone at all. Anyone at all, I'd like to receive Jesus Christ as my Savior. I'll lead you in the salvation prayer. Would you hold your hand up high for a moment? I need to trust Christ today as my Savior. Thank you. God bless you. Anyone else? Anyone else? I want to receive Christ today.
right there in your seat. Sir, if you would, just pray with me from your heart. Pray sincerely, silently from your heart. Follow me in prayer. Dear Lord, I know that I am a sinner. I ask you to forgive me of all of my sin. I believe Jesus Christ died for me and rose again. Please come into my heart and become my Lord and Savior today. Please save me today. Heads about, eyes are closed. Christian, has your commitment to Christ wavered? Have you been drawn away as Demas was drawn away by the world? But today you come face to face with the truth of the true commitment of a Christian. And God has spoken to your heart. He's spoken to your heart as he's spoken to mine. You say, Lord, renew my commitment, renew my courage, renew my love, my dedication to my Savior. Speak to us through this invitation hymn, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen.